Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we discuss sustainable impact investing, creating portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as we explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Greg O'Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. I'm so excited. This is part four. I hate to say that this is, I'm excited because this is the last one, but come on, this is the last one, part four of a four-part series of interviews that Kim did at a conference uh, in October. And I'm, I'm so excited. Kim, you have two more people that are going to be on this episode, correct? I do have two more, and I, I'm kind of sad this is the last of the well, It's not the last conference, right? No, it's you not the last again. conference. Yeah, I, and I when people hear to. this, yeah, they're going to totally want to be on the show. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I did have a few people I asked who I think were a little afraid to mm. do it. So maybe after they hear this, they'll be more interested next time. Or next time you could get a taco truck. And park it right up front and do the podcasting from the taco truck, eat tacos, talk about sustainability, but an electric taco truck. It's funny you say that because two years ago at our last conference, when we had our Airbnb, we had the Uh same Airbnb two years ago. I mentioned that in the first episode. We had taco night. Oh, nice. At our Airbnb and invited probably 30 people over. Oh, that's great. Yeah, folks were so disappointed that we didn't do that this year. <laughs> well, but, I'm disappointed you know, I wasn't there. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love tacos. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll do it at taco night next time. All right. <laughs> it's a captive Absolutely. audience. There you go. You interview and I'll cook tacos. And what okay. I mean by that is I'll bring my wife who's Hispanic and really does cook good tacos. Oh, I'll let her okay. do it. I'll just carry the platter to you whenever you're ready. <laughs> deal? Okay. That's deal. Okay. <laughs> Now that we've established that, who do you have on the show today? I saved the two more personal interviews for the last episode here. And I have two folks, again, one that I have known for over 20 years, and that's Jim Horlicker. And he is an advisor, just like I am. And Jim and I have been longtime friends. We were friends from the moment we met in this industry. And of course, we met at this conference. Mm -hmm. So Jim and I talked about friendship. We talked about family. We talked about the industry and the changes it's gone through. We've talked about personal values and ethics, how we work with clients around that. And it was a meaningful conversation for me. And I'll save the second one for after we listen to Jim. But I I love talking to Jim, so I hope you'll enjoy listening to him. Sounds good. I'm excited. This is Kimberly Griego-Kyle with the Deep Impact Investing Podcast, and I'm here at the ESG for Impact Conference in Colorado Springs. I'm sitting here with a really great guy that I've known, oh my gosh, 20 years? At least. At something like that. Jim Horlicker from Kansas City. Correct. And I remember once visiting you there. I don't know why I was in Kansas, 
But we had the most amazing barbecue. <laughs> My God, it was so good. Welcome, Jim. Oh, it's so good to be here. Yes. yes uh, uh, such a good, long friendship and, you know, activists of a similar heart. Exactly. Exactly. So let me just ask real quick, because we are, I hope, at the tail end of this whole COVID thing, but, you know, it might be a while. How's the family? Your wife is a teacher. Oh, yes. 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 It definitely impacts us. Right. Uh, we're all vaccinated as soon as we were eligible, as soon as we could find a shot somewhere, stand in line, drive to a different state, get one. Good. <laughs> but, you know, as an elementary school teacher, thank you for asking. She's impacted daily because they can't get vaccinated. And just this school year so far, she's had more than eight quarantines, eight students quarantined with either you know, actually having it or symptoms and they aren't sure. And then that affects the rest of her class and who can participate in what activities. It's incredibly disruptive to the education experience. And she's, you know, double duty teaching online at the same time she's teaching in person, getting online at night after she gets done with normal school to teach kids on Zoom at home. It's an interesting experience at this point in history. I bet. I bet. So, Jim... You've been in this industry for probably a little longer than I have. When did you start? I started in the investment industry in the early 90s and started doing socially responsible investing at a mainstream investment firm, Waddell & Reed, and they thought I was extremely weird, Uh, (laughs) and I thought they were just awful people too, and quickly decided I did not want to be part of the mainstream quote-unquote financial world and sought out and so switched around 93 or 94 to doing SRI exclusively and had found First Affirmative Financial Network. Yeah, so you've been with them since 93. Something around then, right. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, more than 25 years. Wow, that's great. And so... What made you decide that this socially responsible investing, you know, way back then in the early 90s, was what you wanted to do? Strictly values. It spoke to my soul. I had grown up in a family of activists who thought that we should actually walk the talk and take action on what we believed in. And I had an aptitude for finance took the normal route through college and whatnot into the normal mainstream financial world, but just did not like what I saw. I had no I really no idea of how it all happened behind the scenes. And yeah, all the rumors are true. So deciding, oh wow, you know, I I either need to just change careers because this does not fit with me being able to live with myself, or I need to find a way to do this where it it can fit with my values, uh, with my ethics. Like the, just invest in the, the bad, gross stuff and donate the profits to charity thing. It, you couldn't do that. No, it didn't sit well with me. It, it, I, I just couldn't participate like that. It started out with my own research for my own money and saying, okay, you know, I'm not happy with the options in the retirement plan. I'd, and, you know, going above and beyond studying for CFP credentials and just doing the extra research finding some SRI mutual funds and saying, wow, this exists. This is a cool idea. Why don't they teach me this in finance classes? Why don't they teach you this in 
CFP education programs? Why doesn't my firm, they all had a vested interest in the old paradigm. So let's, you know, disrupt those paradigms, right? So that was my introduction is just stumbling on these, doing my own research for my own money. And then finding a way within that old system to try to be able to do that for others as well. They made it extremely hard. In hindsight, I found out that they basically didn't get paid anything for when I did SRI for clients. So I I forced it through, but they didn't (laughs) like it. And, but I did it anyway. It, It was the right thing to do. My natural client base were people who also cared and so, yeah, that was a, a big reason to switch firms and find somebody like-minded people like you who wanted to, you know, actually do something that was socially good. Yeah. Tell me what your favorite thing is to do when working with your clients. It's to hear their story and to see where they're ethics and values come from and how they would like to turn around and implement that and how they have an impact on the world with their money. Sometimes it's intentionally a radical change from where the money came from, from past generations. Sometimes it is just starting from scratch money that they have made and knowing they don't want to participate in the old paradigm and they want to start their own. And hearing how they want to put that into place and then helping them and saying let's let's customize it let's actually be able to do what you want to do i love that too and i love it when they say thank you so much for creating this for me that's right and they feel like they're creating this legacy yes yes yeah yeah they don't have to have this psychosis of of splitting out their financial life from the rest of their life. They can be, look at things holistically, you know, where they volunteer, where they donate can all work in conjunction with where they invest. It doesn't have to be at odds with each other. You don't have to sell your soul. Yes. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So here we are. This is probably your 30th conference or something crazy, right? <laughs> Not or, quite, but it's a lot. Yeah, it's close. And, um, we were very young when we, we were, started this. We were babies. Yeah. So be, this is smaller, more intimate conference than we've had for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And you came. Tell me what you hope to get out of this event, other than seeing me. Well, <laughs> a, a key thing really is, I mean, you say that, but a key thing really is maintaining the relationships, nurturing the relationships. So much of this business, we know the movers and shakers personally, and that's how you find out about opportunities. It's not easy to find out about what's going on in, you know, through normal finance. And so this is a great place to make those connections. Also, every year, even though we've been doing this so long, every year there are a a significant number of new folks and including people straight out of college or still in college who would give scholarships to to come here i just had a great conversation with one of the scholars oh fantastic yeah yeah it's reinvigorating to me so i get something out of it to speak to these you know gung-ho idealistic young people but then i also want to help nurture that and help you know help them network and make their connections a lot of people have gotten jobs here and that's very fun to hear about yeah 
I also love the connections to continue to nurture relationships and see the people I haven't seen in one or two years or whatever it happens to be. It's important to me. Right. The official sessions are always good. Yes. They do a great job of programming. But as always, for somebody who's been coming for so long, like we have, the hallway conversations are as good as anything. They are. The spontaneous. And you can't do that on a scheduled Zoom when you have a pre-planned agenda. Those are good meetings. Good to have. But you really need to have that that downtime when it's half socializing and half talking business and some amazing ideas have come up, brainstorms, that we actually end up implementing. And it has an impact on the world. It does. It's such a beautiful thing. Yes. It's all about the impact. I am, however, going to miss the dance floor this year. Oh, (laughs) very much. Yes. Well, Jim, thank you for joining me on the Deep Impact Investing Podcast. And I hope you get everything you need out of this conference. Thank you for having me, Kim. Great to be here. All right. I certainly hope you enjoyed listening to Jim and I talk. You know, we have a we have such a great rapport, and he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, here's the thing: is that on the last episode, you had Sam and Sarah Adams, right? And we talked about right. how a married couple working in the you know in the same industry at the same job at the same location can be tough unless you're really you know you're focused on something that you're both passionate about. And I think that, I mean, you said it best, you and Jim were friends from the first day you met because you met at this conference, which means your guys' hearts are knit in the same direction. You both have a passion for ESG. You both have a passion for making changes in the world in, in a very positive way. And I think that that's, those types of connections are lifelong. I, I think that you're if they you're are. passionate about the same thing, you, you can't help but be friends. And you, it shows with your guys' conversation. It does. And, you know, it's he his entry into this industry was different than mine. You know, I started directly in what was called SRI, Mm -hmm. socially responsible investing. And he started in a traditional and thought, I can't do this. You know, I you know, he just wanted to do SRI investing and in his traditional industry firm, they were like, oh, you're, you know the odd man out here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he found his way and is doing what is his passion. So it's great. I love Jim. He's amazing. I would really love it if you could have met my last guest on this podcast. She is phenomenal. And she's really what our next generation of advisors should be and needs to be. And her name is, I'm afraid, I'm looking at my piece of paper, and I'm probably going to butcher her last name. She had to really coach me on how to say it for the podcast, but her name is Reem Fadioji, and I think I said that right. But she's an MBA candidate from Duke University, and she's one of the student scholars who was able to join us at the conference. We have a, a scholarship program for students to attend our conference every year. And she is phenomenal. And when she completes her MBA, if there's any way that I could convince her to move to Santa Fe and hire her, let me tell you, I will. So, but you know, she's a Duke, right? (laughs) I don't know if she's going to want to move to Santa Fe, but we'll see. But we talked about her journey to ESG investing and what her goals are and her passions 
she came from a nonprofit world, and you know, we really talked in depth about this. We talked about. I I really asked her about her opinion on what the industry needs to do better, because I want to know as a long timer from the newcomers what they think. You know, we don't usually ask those questions mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the newer folks, but I want to know. And we ended it with asking, I asked her, how we can support women and specifically women of color to get into finance. It was an amazing conversation. So I really hope you enjoy and listeners enjoy hearing what she has to say. It's powerful. This is Kimberly Griego-Kyle with the Deep Impact Investing Podcast. And I'm here at the ESG for Impact Conference in Colorado Springs at the Broadmoor, which is an amazing hotel and conference center. It's beautiful up here. It's been a very nice day. Starting to get a little chilly. I'm sitting here with Reem, and I am not even going to try to pronounce your last (laughs) name. You're going to have to teach me how to do it because I'm going to totally butcher it. So how do you say your last name? Fadiogi. 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 There you go. All right, I got it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Reem, I know, is an MBA candidate at Duke University. So tell me a little bit about why you're doing this MBA program. And well, I'll get to the second question. But tell me about why you're choosing that program. Sure. So my background, I helped build a startup consulting agency in San Diego that served nonprofits. And my time in doing so, I found the nonprofit space was remarkable in serving impact, but not really communicating it. And so while I was doing the building of this startup, I really found that they also needed support in impact measurement. And so I built that venture for the organization. And in doing so, I studied the standard space and found impact investing to be a really remarkably advanced conversation in regards to nonprofits and how they could communicate their impact. I honestly just fell in love with impact investing and found that they were tangibly trying to allocate capital towards real solutions and wanted to get involved but fell into the conference space, met phenomenal people, and got to final round interviews and just would lose the positions to MBA candidates. And I wasn't entirely shocked because I didn't have any financial experience other than building a startup, which shockingly isn't as regarded in the corporate space for how many different hats we actually wear. But I found that, okay, maybe I can get some credible background and experience from an MBA program that can communicate I'm committed to this space and wanting to learn more of the financial side of things. And so I met the professor, Kathy Clark, at one of the conferences, and she just blew my mind away. And I thought how cool it could be to learn from her. So I specifically sought out Duke for that faculty member and have been working with her on some projects since. That's, I also have an MBA. Oh, I awesome. did my MBA at Merrill Hurst University, and it was a specialized sustainability-focused MBA. And I know that's something that's a passion for you, mm-hmm. and that's why you're here at this conference. And you're here as one of our scholars, yes. which is amazing, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you're here for that reason. Tell me what you hope to get out of attending this conference. Well, I am glad that we're back in the conference setting. I think that the two-year hiatus with COVID obviously 
that ability to network and meet people was missed. And so certainly seeking that out. Obviously, also, I'm a second-year candidate MBA, so wrapping up my educational experience and entering it back into the workforce, ideally hoping to make professional connections and possibly job opportunities as well. So um, hoping that that could get fostered. That's great. Earlier, we were having an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. So I want to circle back around to that and discuss the impact of ESG investing. Mm -hmm. And give me your opinion. (laughs) It's a big question, right? Mm -hmm. So give me your opinion on what we need to do in this industry. Tell us, I mean, you're obviously younger than me and you're an MBA candidate, but tell me what you think we need to do better to show impact. What would you do? What would you encourage us to do? I think that there's definitely at least three major things. So I'll try to say this as succinctly as I can, but in terms of adhering to institutional investors, I think that there is certainly a gap. That gap, I think, is most prevalent in the public market space. And I think it depends really how bullish we wish to integrate with the institutional side of things. And as I'm in the program, I recognize that there's students who don't even know what impact investing is, and then there's students who are diehard, like myself, and that I just believe that this is the way. And I see it, it's going this direction. So how do you bridge that gap between the conversationalist of folks who aren't yet exposed to impact investing and don't yet, they're not yet enrolled into it, and then those that are incredibly passionate about it. And I think that there's the conversation of, are we gonna lose profit in bottom line? And so that really, I think, is very publicly, or very visibly seen through the public markets. I think the private space has nailed this down a little bit better. If you look at like VCs, PE, all just private investments in general. But the public space, I think, is something that in regards to actually enrolling more people into how can this be done and you're not at a loss. The best example that I've personally heard is, for example, like in the public equity space, like we haven't yet designed a threshold of what is impact enough. And so when you think of Comcast as like a public equity or even just ETFs or mutual funds, when you're thinking, we, let's go to the Comcast example f- further, but they may have initiatives of, okay, we'll serve low income communities, but to what depth would you actually consider that as a public equity that's impact oriented? And so you're going to try to enroll people saying, okay, let's add this into our diversified portfolio, but what threshold is that actually impact enough? And I think that that's something that I hope to see the conversation filling in the gap between institutional and impact focused people in the next coming years, because that really it inhibits growth in the public space and diversified portfolios, especially folks who want entirely impact-based portfolios, you can't entirely get there without that threshold being clearly defined. So that's one. The (laughs) second, I think, what we were speaking about earlier is just how to leverage actual policy change through impact investing. And is that by being the rock in the river or is that through divesting? And so, for instance, if you are passionate about impact investing? Do you stay with institutional investors that are still committed to investing in spaces that are not entirely impact, like activities and supply chain activity in concentration camps in China, just because China's returns are quite large and positive for portfolios? Or 
and you stay as a shareholder, you stay as a board member out of sake of hoping to change things, for instance, like within Nike or Exxon, or do you pivot and go and divest entirely? And is that the larger stand? Which is a big question, divestment versus activism. Right. And I, I just don't, I personally don't have that answer, but I would love to see, especially with the activity happening with the public companies invested in the concentration camps, because I think that that's something, there's obviously policy change trying to be made about it. There's a Southern congressman that's actively vocal about it, but yet how do we actually see change on that front? I think the third and final point is just ideally questions I'd love to see answered is how do you further enroll more people into the conversation of impact without it being a loss for their portfolio? And someone made a beautiful comment at the last panel we were at that if you really are doing this for long-term investing and not short-term, there's no question you can just avoid climate change. You can't just avoid the values that come from diversified portfolios from diverse managers. You can't just ignore that that's a value to your portfolio, but it's the competitive advantage to institutional folks at the moment. So those are my three points. <laughs> it's great. It's so great to hear those. And I would like to encourage you to continue to tell us long timers those three things. <laughs> yeah. Speak up, use your voice. And I want to encourage the listeners who have been in this industry for a while. Whew, boy, it's been a while to ask those folks who are newer to the industry that question i think there's also a really beautiful thing that's happened even in my short time in this space i started going to socap maybe in 2016 so wow that's like five years now um yeah <laughs> but i was right out of undergrad like i graduated 2016 i found out about socap went with no job and i was just like what is this space i gotta know and it was impossible to tap into just not even feasible i had a social impact background but it wasn't enough and then my career advanced so that i had a lot of social impact experience but still no financial experience and so it's beautiful to see that even within these five years how explosive the industry has become but it's still not yet accessible to young professionals who want to get into it and so I will say for those that are listening or those that are interested to continue growing this space to make it attractive for young people to join it because they're the ones that care the most about this. I remember when I was 26 in 2016, I on foot walked to 17 different asset management funds in San Francisco, handing out my resume, just interested to join. And all of them were like, that's great. You're interested, but you need like eight years of banking experience and I refused to go corporate and I was committed to social impact and I think now times are changing but Mm -hmm. people want to be a part of the space and obviously we're still boutique and not robust enough that we have training capacity for young professionals but I think the moment that the space gets to that spot the the opportunities for employees to join will explode people want to be a part of it and I'll tell you The industry in general, and it's sad to say, even the impact space, there's a problem. And we've been talking about it, but there's a problem with women and women of color specifically. Yes. (laughs) And we have to do more about getting them in this space and getting them into finance in general. Yes. And we know people who are talking about it and are pushing it. 
and it's uncomfortable, but we're going to do it and we're going to talk about it and we're going to make it happen. So that's the dream. And I think also even as a woman of color, I, I recognize that that's a value add I bring to firms. And also I, I hope that it gets to a point in which that that doesn't have to be the considering factor for my right. application. So right. the dreams are ahead. They are. <laughs> Thanks so much, Reem. Thank you. For being here and being willing to chat with me and being here on, on Deep Impact Investing Podcast. Thank you. I wish you a lot of luck. Thank you. I think you're going to be great. Thanks. Well, Eric, I don't know what you thought about Reem, but I just believe she's going to go places. And she's amazing, and I can't wait to see what she does. Yeah, the potential for that young woman's impact is going to be huge. And she's got the energy. Like you said, she's the next generation to, you know, to spearhead movements and, you know, be the mouth and the face. And that's great. No, that's awesome. It is. And there were five scholars this year, and they were all great. Um, But I only got a chance to get one of them. Mm -hmm. on the podcast. (laughs) I wish I could have gotten all of them. It's hard to pin them down. They're just soaking in everything they can. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's hard to gather them all together, but I pretty much roped her and said, please (laughs) come. I want to talk to you more. And she was great. So, you know, this was our fourth and final podcast in the series. And Mm -hmm. I I really feel like I saved the best for last. (laughs) Although they were all phenomenal. I, I really enjoyed talking to Rex and George and Ebony and Leslie and Sam and Sarah and then finally Jim and Reem and you know this is I love all my podcasts but this was fun you know doing this whole road show thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's great you know I've really liked it and I hope listeners have enjoyed it and you know give me feedback if you have feedback you can email me kim at horizonssfs.com and let me know. I'm always up for feedback. And of course, I'm always here for your investment needs too. So please email me for Absolutely. that. That's yeah. what I'm here for. Yep. So, and to those great. other scholars that didn't make it on the podcast, now that you've heard this podcast, you know you want to be on it. And next time, tacos. So right there we go. I mean, what else can you ask for, really? All right. Well, Kim, thank you so much again. I I am kind of sad to wrap up this four-part series. But again, like we said at the very beginning of this podcast, there are other conferences and there are going to be other opportunities for you to hit the road with your mic. And uh, I can't wait to see what comes out of not only this mini-series, but what you have coming up for this next year. Yeah. Can you believe it? This is going to wrap up the end of the 2021 year. And yeah, next year. What a way to go. Bigger, better things, right? (laughs) Absolutely. All right, Kim, again, thank you so much for your time today and all you do for the listening audience and myself. And of course, the last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego-Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, email us at kim at horizonssfs.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at 
Horizons, S-U-S-T-F-I-N, or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.